The all-new Chevy Colorado is made for more. Stacked with the latest in-vehicle technologies like a class-leading 11-inch diagonal center touchscreen and an extra-large wireless charging pad. Plus, it features wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto compatibility to make staying connected easy wherever your adventure takes you. Chevy Colorado. Made for more. Learn more at Chevrolet.com slash truck slash Colorado. Claims based on latest competitive data. This is the On the Banks podcast presented by SB Nation. Welcome to the On the Banks podcast. I'm your host, Greg Petuto. Another week and another non-conference victory for Rutgers football, albeit an unimpressive victory, unable to score an offensive touchdown against a bad Temple team, left fans up in arms a bit, but 3-0 is 3-0. That's all you can ask for from this Rutgers team heading into Big Ten play. So we're going to dive into that game a bit more toward the end of the podcast. I have a great interview with Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register to break down the matchup between Rutgers and Iowa and kind of get a sense of what's going on in that Hawkeye program to this point. Another team that's been struggling on offense, but as we know, an elite defense over there in Ames. So a lot to get into in this episode and also other sports around Rutgers finishing up the non-conference portion of their schedule and getting into Big Ten play where it really is a gauntlet all around athletics. So a lot to touch on here. We'll begin with the women's soccer team who moved to 9-0 and with a opening victory in conference play over Ohio State, who's currently ranked 21 in the country. Rutgers coming in as one of the top five teams in the nation, took down Ohio State using goals in each half. Megan McLennan leading another shutout for the Scarlet Knights. Allison Lowry gave Rutgers the lead with a goal in the sixth minute, her sixth of the season while Sarah Brocious, who assisted on the goal by Lowry, added a second-half goal to give Rutgers some insurance. And when you look at the stats, it's clear that Rutgers controlled this game, especially in the second half. They outshot Ohio State 20-12 to over the course of the game, but 15-6 to in that second half. So you could really see the aggressiveness of this team over the course of the game as it continued. And when you look at the schedule for Rutgers, it does not get any easier as they prepare to take on Penn State, who's currently ranked 17th in the nation. That game will be tonight in University Park. And then they move, you know, a couple winnable games looking at Maryland, Northwestern, Purdue over the course of the week. They do have a game on ESPN2 later in the season. And Rutgers will have plenty more chances to show that they are one of the best teams in the country and the top team in the Big Ten. And they're already doing it. The you know, Sam Kroger and Allison Lowry leading the team with six goals. Obviously, Riley Tiernan doing what she does best, six assists, continuing to be one of the most dynamic players in the conference. And head coach Mike O'Neill just maintaining expectations, just being able to handle them over the course of the season. An experienced group back for Rutgers. Um, Going to be a lot of positive recaps for this women's soccer team as the season continues. Moving to field hockey, who took care of business in its previous two games against non-conference opponents. First, a 3-2 to two overtime victory against uh, Michigan State, the Scarlet Knights' third overtime victory of the season thus far, and then a 5-4 to four victory over Delaware as field hockey prepares to take on 
Ohio State and Michigan this weekend. And this is an important stretch for Rutgers, who we saw begin the season with the battle on the banks, two tough losses to ranked teams. They moved into two victories the previous week against UConn and Monmouth, two more ranked teams, and now they have another back-to-back on Friday and Sunday against Ohio State and Michigan, who are ranked 23rd and 8th in the nation, respectively. And and when you look, I mentioned the gauntlet a couple times already. Field hockey seems to be the one that has the most when you look at um, the competition. Later in the season, they're going to have back-to-backs against two, three uh, back to back to back three top five teams in Ohio, uh, Iowa, Northwestern and Maryland before taking on Syracuse and Penn State. So that's five games in a row against teams ranked in the top 15 nationally to this point. So field hockey will have no time to rest and will be tested as the season goes on, which is good for this team, good for a young team who uh, you know lost some key members looking to find a rhythm and hopefully contend for another Big Ten championship. Men's soccer also opened up Big Ten play, a 4-2 victory over a struggling Northwestern team. And that's the third win in a row for um, Rutgers after two consecutive ties against Princeton and Yale. So the men's soccer team seems to be off and running. And, of course, that's led by M.D. Myers, who has a team-high six goals. He also has two assists on the season. You know, one of the most explosive players in this conference. He's showing his offensive ability. Was one of the top players last year, and his return really sparked this team. And then looking at the volleyball team as well, 6-6 six and six on the season to this point. They started out 3-0. and um, at the College of Charleston tournament, just playing in a bunch of different tournaments. They pre- recently hosted the Rutgers tournament where they were able to get a victory over Fairleigh Dickinson, you know, followed by dropping two straight games. But they will also begin Big Ten play on Friday, you know, a red out at Jersey Mike's Arena hosting Michigan. So a busy day all around um, Rutgers athletics tomorrow, Friday, and then into the weekend beginning tonight with women's soccer and then you look at volleyball and field hockey the men's soccer team will be in action tomorrow and then of course saturday night seven o'clock on fox sports one the football team will open big 10 play with an interesting matchup against iowa which we'll dive into more with chad about um the state of this iowa program and some some matchups to watch that could give a team an edge right away Before we dive into Iowa, let's take a quick look back at that Temple matchup, a game where Rutgers was a big favorite again for the second consecutive week and did not perform like an 18.5-point favorite, especially on the offensive end. We expected the defense to show up against a poor Temple team, E.J. Warner, a freshman quarterback coming in, who really didn't look terrible, 215 yards, a touchdown, a pick. He's going to improve, and you know it's in his bloodline. He's going to improve over time. Uh, Temple might have you know their next quarterback for the next couple of years, which is something that they could say more than Rutgers at this point. I mean, it's true; it's a fact. You look at Gavin Wimsatt; he struggled to throw the football. That, that's putting it lightly. He's able to use his legs. He's one that Rutgers is hoping can improve, but he's really shown no signs of being able to throw the football. He'll enter Iowa as a game time decision. While Noah Vedra is also a game time decision, so Evan Simon might, you know, have the keys to the car against Iowa against this strong defense for the Hawkeyes, and that'll be interesting coming off a performance where he finished nine of fifteen for just fifty two yards. You know, looking at just over three yards and attempt, 
this is a game where Temple did not allow Rutgers to open up the playbook. And that's something Greg Schiano said. They've played a little close to the vest. He expects the offense to open it up once Big Ten play begins. But this is a game that really concerned Rutgers fans. And it showed in the comments section of, you know, a power rankings that On the Banks put out. And just to clarify those rankings too, they're, they go, it's a week by week system. We're not a power rankings. You don't look at who's the best team in the conference. Otherwise, it would never change. The list would be the same. We know who the best teams are in the conference. But the fact is, these games get played and teams show, you know, bad losses. They show tendencies. They show a bunch of things. So when you look at the teams behind Rutgers, yes, Michigan State is better is a better team than Rutgers. Despite falling out of the top 25 with a bad loss to Washington, they're better than Rutgers. We get that. But you can't ignore getting blown out against an unranked Washington team despite being underdogs. That's a bad loss. Wisconsin is going to end up being one of the top five teams in the Big Ten when it's all said and done. But we only we can only count on what we've seen to this point, and a loss to Washington State is inexcusable. Now, if Wisconsin played Rutgers, they'd be big favorites no matter what field they play on. But that's not the point of a power rankings, quote-unquote. That is to show to this point what teams have done and what other teams haven't. And a loss to Washington State cannot be not scoring 14 points in that game you can't ignore that. That's the, that's what a power rankings is for. Is Rutgers a top five team? Are they number six in the Big Ten? No. But for fans to be a little bent out of shape over a power rankings or to want them, you know, nine or ten, that's just not possible. Because again, it doesn't. It shows what you have done over the course of the season. You try and throw the eye test in as much as you can, but at the end of the day, Rutgers is three and zero. There are teams with bad losses behind them. And that's what it comes down to. Like I mentioned, with conference play beginning, it's hard to do it over the first three weeks because you don't know what teams are. They haven't played each other yet. A lot of teams schedule cupcakes. So once conference play begins, it'll all work itself out. Now it's just having fun. It's enjoying three victories for Rutgers. And it's it's a conversation point. It's discussing which team should be where. And I know Rutgers fans will also be a little bent out of shape because of their feelings about Maryland. But – and – you know, Minnesota could be above Maryland, but they haven't played anybody to this point. The victory over SMU that Maryland had was as impressive as it gets. SMU is not the offensive juggernaut it was in years past, but it's still a strong offense, a strong program. So that victory, holding them to 27 points uh, with an over-under that was 73.5, holding them to 27 points, picking up a victory at home, that's a statement victory for Maryland as they continue to improve. And I know that stinks to hear as Rutgers fans, but Maryland's an athletic team. They're a fast team. They're a team that's going to keep improving. So that week, that last game of the season, that matchup does not favor Rutgers to this point, but we'll see more once they begin to open up the offense. Again, looking in, going back to that Temple game, when you look at 12 first downs for Rutgers, 201 total yards, 59 through the air, which is amazing. We'll get into the rushing attack. That, that's been the bright spot of Rutgers so far. This one was led by Johnny Langan. Rutgers won the time of possession. They had nine penalties. A lot of bad things. They didn't turn the ball over. A lot of bad things happening. And it again, an offense that just didn't seem to get going. And I understand the concern going into a game against one of the best defenses in the nation with two potential All-Americans, a team that's coming off a shutout that has given up four points a game. And it'll be interesting to see how Rutgers plays if Simon is the only quarterback going, especially, again, Vedral and Wimsett 
are game time decisions. We don't know who's going to be able to go under center. So if Simon is the full time quarterback there, which by rights, if Rutgers had to pick a starter going into conference play, he would be the starter. And that's just fair. That's using your eyes. That's being fair to the numbers as well, the performance on the field. Simon has been their best quarterback. Again, Vedral has not played yet this season. But to the point, Simon has has beat out Wimsat for this job. It'd be silly to say otherwise. I understand that fans want Wimsat, the highly touted recruit, the highest quarterback recruit to ever come through Rutgers. They want him to play. They want him to be successful. And there's still plenty of time for that. You know, being the age of a true freshman, there's plenty of time for Wimsat to develop and really take the keys over the next three years. This season, if Rutgers does want to win three more games and get to a bowl, they're going to have to put Simon under center, trust him to make some throws, but really lean on the rushing attack. And that's what they've been able to do 141, uh, 142, excuse me, yards, 41 rushes, three and a half yards per attempt. Rutgers has been using the ground game in different ways and getting a lot of contributions. You know, Johnny Langan was the one who broke off the big run against Temple, had 79 yards. But you look at Samuel Brown has really taken on a role. He had eight carries. Al Shadi Salam had eight carries. Kyle Wanungai, only seven for 10 yards. But we know he's the more polished option. He's going to continue to get work in this offense but having the options and having the speed that Rutgers has can be a problem coming Big Ten play and I touched on this with Chad when he said Iowa's interior defensive line might be a bit of a weak point where Rutgers might be able to get going it'll be interesting to see if the offensive line can create a push and get them um, some rushing yards you know in the middle of the defense That's something that we will touch on during my interview with Chad. So without further ado, let's get into my discussion with Chad Lystico of the Des Moines Register. I am now joined by Chad Lystico of the Des Moines Register. Chad, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about Iowa Rutgers and see if if we can break the over of 34 and a half. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna get into that total for sure. Being a being a college football game at thirty four and a half, you you don't see that every day. Um, yeah. And that's a good place to start with the story being obviously um, the offense for Iowa, the struggles that they've seen, um, putting up twenty seven points against Nevada in the shutout victory, but still not exactly lighting it up. Um, what's the overall vibe around this program in terms of turning it around? Is there a confidence that this offense can improve um, over the course of the season? Uh, not really. <laughs> uh, put to put it bluntly, uh, I mean, at least among the Iowa fan base. I mean, they're uh, a week ago. You know, at this time, uh, you know, nobody wanted Spencer Petras to be the quarterback anymore. Uh, the offense was so bad in the first two games against South Dakota State and then Iowa State. Uh, the yardage totals for Rutgers fans that uh, want to hear about it: uh, one sixty-six against South Dakota State and one fifty against Iowa State. Iowa won the first game 7-3 to three on, with two safeties and then lost the second game 10-7. to seven. And it was just a, a absolutely frustrating result for the Hawkeyes, which who, who have an unbelievable defense. Uh, we'll get to the defense, I'm sure. But, but yeah, the, the frustration has mounted. It's, it, uh, it certainly pointed at the quarterback last week. Now kind of the, uh, the angst is more towards the offensive line, which ha- had trouble blocking Nevada. And that was... Uh, that was a little bit alarming. Uh, they had, they did break off two long touchdown runs that kind of, you know, made the stats look a little better than it, it probably was. But, but yeah, there's a lot of problems. They've had tons of attrition at receiver. So essentially they've had problems at quarterback, offensive line, and wide receiver. 
And I would say their tight ends, considered their strongest position group, really haven't lived up to the billing this year. They've actually uh, also kind of been struggling to really get going. So uh, not much to write home about about the offense. Uh, the coaches are kind of preaching, you know, this is uh, you know a long incremental process, which is frustrating for Hawkeye fans because they have a fifth-year senior quarterback, you know. And uh, you'd think the offensive line should be a strength at Iowa, but it just isn't right now. So, um, so definitely a lot of frustration, I would say. Who takes accountability, you know, when an offense is struggling like this in the beginning? You know, what's been um, said to the media after these three games, whether it's, you know, Brian Ferenc, Spencer Petrus, really anybody um, who stands up there and discusses the state of this Iowa offense? Yeah, well, I think the main message, you know, that uh, Kirk Ferentz has preached and others, you know, is that they're sticking with Spencer Petrus because, uh, yeah, they've, they've seen what he can do in practice. And it's funny because, um, you know, Iowa goes against his first-team defense all the time. And, you know, they go ones-on-ones in camp. Um, it's, I don't know how all programs do it, but that's what Iowa does. And all the reports in, in fall camp were like, you know, hey, the offense looks way better than it did last year. And, um, you know, someone told me re- you know, last week, Iowa, you know, the first-team offense had uh, five – drives with a two-minute drill and scored touchdowns on all five drives with the with this offense and so you're like okay why why can't that translate to the field and that's been kind of the message it's like uh they just haven't translated from practice to the game field but you know <laughs> justifiably fans are like well you know the games are what count and so that's kind of where the the uh you know fight has sort of almost been between uh, the inside and the outside. It's like, well, we don't see the results, and they're saying, you know, they think they're coming. So I guess the message is at some point, they think they're going to have I think more of a breakup a game on offense, but at this point, it's you know, we've been waiting about a year for this Iowa offense to do anything. I mean, this this started midway through last year, so uh, it's it's an ongoing deal, and uh, it, Kirk Ferentz is, is nothing if not patient. And uh, or at least big picture anyway, and they continue to kind of roll with the same quarterback, roll with about the same you know the same plan ultimately. So um, again, say a broken record here, but uh, a team that's probably not going to score a lot of points on Saturday. Yeah, and you touched on this a bit. Uh, my next point I was going to bring up uh, mentioning the team sticking with Spencer Petrus and and the confidence that they have that this offense will turn it around. I was going to say, is he the guy moving forward, or was there a chance um, that a, a change could be made if things do not turn around, or is Petrus just he has the keys fully for this season? Uh, you know, they have a backup quarterback. His, his name is uh, Alex Padilla, and he started three games last year. Started, he actually came off the bench early at Northwestern last year and was very impressive. Uh, and they won that game on the road. They needed that win desperately. They had to pretty much go four zero in November. Um, to have a chance to win the Big Ten West. Uh, and Padilla led him to wins against Northwestern, Minnesota, and Illinois. And uh, Minnesota wasn't a bad team last year. Um, so he went 3-0 and as a starter. So he's he's a little bit proven. Now, the stats weren't amazing, but he also had a lot of drops. So there's there's at least someone behind Petrus with some experience, with a little program equity. But they continue to believe in what they've seen in practice with Petrus. Uh, so... I think if things just go really bad, they're going to have to make a change. It's just uh, inevitable. But as I pointed out in one of my articles this week, Spencer Petrus has been way, way better on the road as a quarterback. If you look at his all-time splits, 
Uh, it's pretty crazy, actually. Eight touchdowns versus one interception as a road quarterback, and then 12 touchdowns and 15 interceptions uh, at home at neutral sites. And uh, I think, you know, to me, he didn't he didn't say this when I asked him about it yesterday, but I just think he feels less pressure on the road, you know, because he's under so much scrutiny here. You know, he essentially gets booed every time he comes off the field. And uh, I think on the road he plays a little freer. That's just my opinion. And so we'll see. We'll see if he, he maybe has a little bit more of a relaxed performance on Saturday in Piscataway. That's definitely a point to keep up um, over the course of this week and as the game goes on, considering when Rutgers has won games, they've also been on the road in the Big Ten. They, I believe it's 17 straight um, conference games they've lost on their home field, which is interesting to hear that Petrus is also um, better on the road. Now, looking more into this Iowa offense, they were banged up at wide receiver coming into the season. They got Nico Reganey back for that Iowa, uh, excuse me, for that Nevada matchup. Um, what's the status of the wide receivers heading into this Rutgers game? Are they still getting some guys back? Are they healthy? What's going on on the outside? Yeah, it sounds like Keegan Johnson, who is expected to be their number one receiver, uh, he missed the first two games, uh, came back against Nevada last week after a hamstring issue. Played 15 snaps and then kind of re-aggravated the injury. So it sounds like he will not play uh, on Saturday. So that's a big plus for Rutgers, I would say. So I was really down to scholarship receiver. That would be Arlen Bruce the fourth, who's been their most reliable target. Uh, but you know, again, there's not <laughs> the stats are much to write home about. Um, and then Brody Brecht, who's a, a pitcher on the baseball team, uh, who had four career snaps ahead of. Uh, this past game Saturday and had one career catch for four yards. So that's your second scholarship receiver. And then the third one you mentioned, it's uh, Nico. We found out this week uh, the, the authentic Italian pronunciation is Regaini. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we've all been saying Regaini for five years. It's Regaini. And because uh, yeah, I talked to the family this week, so I'm sure the East Coasters might appreciate that. But uh, he's probably the guy that would be the, the one I would look at this week if you're Rutgers, uh, number 89. And if you're going to the game, you're going to see a lot of number 89 jerseys because his family lives uh, in New Haven or East Haven, Connecticut. And uh, that's about a two hour drive with no traffic, you know, insert your traffic joke there. But, uh, you know, they'll all be at the game. He's got a major contingent coming down and he's a good player. He's a really good player. He just had a, a foot fracture. Matt. But uh, he could be a wild card factor in this game. He's basically Spencer's best friend. Um, so they have a connection, they have a rapport, almost 100. So he's someone to watch on this Iowa offense to, that could maybe get loose on Saturday. But that's it, basically, for receivers. I mean, they got three guys and one's a baseball player. <laughs> oh, I can tell you, up here in uh, in New Jersey and Piscataway, there's definitely going to be some traffic uh, for, for everybody involved getting to this game. Um, defensively, Iowa, obviously, as good as it gets. You know, they have the they have the star power with Jack Campbell, Riley Moss. Um, I mean, the confidence just has to be sky high on that side of the ball as, you know, uh, Big Ten play begins here this week. Yeah, Iowa is allowing 4.3 points per game, uh, which is obviously a, a very good total against any kind of competition. But, and the only touchdown they gave up all year was a 21-play drive uh, against Iowa State, and that was the only, you know, only touchdown they've allowed all season. Uh, so they're playing at an extremely, extremely high level. I mean, South Dakota State, you know, is one of the best teams in FCS and, and kind of comes in with a lot of offensive weapons, and they, they completely shut them down. 
you know, forced three turnovers and blocked two punts against Iowa State. And then uh, last week against Colorado State, I mean, or I'm sorry, Nevada, uh, they, you know, there was no chance Nevada was going to score in that game uh, at all. So uh, the defense is playing at an extremely, extremely high level. They're a little, little banged up on the interior of the defensive line. Uh, they've got two of their top three guys are either out or, or one, one's out, one's uh, probably a game time decision. So they're a little thin at defensive tackle right now. So that would be the only little mild concern, but their back five, well, back seven really in particular is, is pretty elite. And, and a guy to keep an eye on is that uh, he didn't mention yet is number three, Cooper DeGene. Uh, he's a sophomore defensive back. He's got, uh, he's, he's been just incredible. <laughs> like he was a high school, he was a small school, high school legend in Iowa. Uh, and he is—he has lived up to all the hype. He is—he's uh, all over the place. He plays Iowa's cash position, which is the kind of your slot corner uh, type in a four-two-five alignment. And uh, he's got uh, incredible athleticism. I would not be surprised if uh, you know he's in the mix for a pick-six on Saturday. He's been so close to a couple of them already. Uh, he's just a really, really, really fun player to watch. Uh, for the Hawkeyes, you know, that, that's that's the one thing missing for this defense. They haven't scored a touchdown on defense yet, and they that's kind of one of their calling cards. So that could be something to look for on Saturday as well. You mentioned the uh, the interior defensive line, and this question is very broad, and I feel like it kind of has to be when the defense is playing as well as Iowa has been over the first three weeks. But are there any weaknesses on this Hawkeye defense? Where can teams attempt to kind of gain an edge or wear down the defense a bit? Yeah, you know, uh, that's interesting because uh you know iowa has a reputation against the run but they really don't uh they don't really stack the box against the run they just kind of rely on their their defensive line uh namely their defensive tackles you know to consume as many bodies as possible at the line of scrimmage and that allows you know a guy like jack campbell 6'5 250 with a lot of speed a middle linebacker to make all the tackles basically and uh so that's kind of where they rely on their strategy. So um, they don't necessarily have like a, a you know, a, a go get the quarterback type of defensive line. They're more just kind of, uh, it's just kind of a large group of grinders. And sometimes someone does get to the quarterback, but I would say they just don't have like an elite pass rusher. And they don't really, you know, they, they leave their two safeties deep. You know, they play like a too high safety concept where they're going to, you know, they're going to leave not that many people in the box and so i know rutgers has been very effective on the ground so i think i do think rutgers might be able to run the ball against iowa uh, because a lot of times teams against iowa will be just so afraid to not afraid but just like give up on the run so early in the game um because iowa is just so disciplined it's hard to run against them but i think it's possible if a team sticks with it we saw minnesota do that against iowa last year they were 200 plus yards and have held the ball for 40 plus minutes the chance to if they can keep it on the ground I, I do think they have a chance to to do some damage against Iowa in the run game it's not every week we get to talk about punters as well but there seems to be a little bit of a battle in this game um Adam Corsack and Tory Taylor showcasing the trend of Australian punters um in the Big Ten as well which was discussed a lot at media day um, and especially in a, in a what's expected to be a low-scoring game like this, field position um, will be even more important. Um, talk about a little bit about Tory Taylor and just the battle that we could see on punters, as there might be a little more eyes on special teams this week than usual. 
Yeah, Tori Taylor. I mean, I'm. Uh, I've talked to other media members here to make sure I'm not crazy in saying this, but I think we all agree. Uh, Tori Taylor has been Iowa's MVP through three games this season. Three games this season. Uh, he's been phenomenal. I mean, uh, the directional punts were hit where Iowa downs opponents inside the five. Uh, they've got two amazing gunners, Terry Roberts and Cooper DeGene, who I, I previously mentioned, uh, and and they just basically get down there and. You know, catch the ball at the one yard line, you know, <laughs> uh, and it, it's funny talking to Tori. And also uh, I was able to get on the phone with that, of course, yesterday, I'm sure you've talked to plenty of times, but uh, you know, just two guys that it, it's just easy for them, you know, to, to kick a ball exactly where they want it to almost like a, a pro golfer with a, you know, wedge shot into the green. It's just like, okay, I just take a little bit off it. Done this a million times, done it for 20 years. You know, I can put it inside the five anytime I want. And that's, that's what's so fun to watch because you just it's just such a it's neat it's a, it's a cool thing to watch and, and it's a huge factor in this game no question about it i mean taylor is averaging 48.3 per kick this year and that's with a lot of uh, directional coffin corner type punts so when he when he wants to launch one he really launches them and the hang time has been good so he's he's a lot of fun to watch and uh, I, I know iowa fans love adam corsak they, they truly do uh, Adam even said yesterday on the phone, uh, you know, he still gets messages from Iowa fans that's <laughs> kind of rooting for him and they love watching him. But I don't think, you know, I think they're going to try to, you know, hope he has a touchback this week. That's kind of, <laughs> you know, can they break the touchback streak? Of course, like, that's, a, that's a phenomenal streak. 136 is what I saw in the media notes. Yep, it's impressive. And, uh, it's, uh, it's just hard to believe that just an unlucky bounce here or there or something. But that's just how good these guys are. You know, he, he just doesn't make that kind of mistake. And, uh, it, it, it's gonna be, I think it's going to be fun to watch. And Iowa fans, I think, are looking forward to the duel. It is. It's a lot of fun to watch. And you're right. The touchback streak, it's, uh, it's extremely impressive, especially since he's not a, a punter. You know, he's not kicking it out of bounds every time. He has many land inside the 10, even landed a couple at the five, um, at the one-yard line last year. I believe four sat right on the one-yard line. So <laughs> it's amazing what he's able to do, it keeping is, the ball out of the yeah. end zone. Um, the Big Ten West, you know, again, conference play really getting going this year, uh, this week, excuse me, but it seems wide open this year. You know, Iowa's going to remain in the mix, um, because of their defense. And, you know, if the offense can get going, like the, uh, like the coaching staff expects, um, they have a chance to contend for that Big Ten West title. You know, when you look at the teams that are in that part of the standings. You know, is that kind of a, a something that keeps Iowa going? You know, is it, this a reason there's a little more confidence as well, maybe around the coaching staff when they look at the teams that they'll be up against? Yeah, the uh, you know, the, I think you're right that the there is a shot here at the Big Ten West. Obviously, if Iowa was in the East, and there'd be no chance probably the way they're playing. But uh, that's why this game at Rutgers is so huge for Iowa because they've got a tough schedule uh, this season. They do play Michigan next week, and then they. Ohio State three weeks after that. So they've got uh, pretty much the toughest schedule among West Division teams. And so they these are the types of games they've got to win. I mean, I looked at it. Uh, I was a seven-and-a-half-point favorite as, as I looked at it this morning. You know, that's a game they got to win if they're going to win the Big Ten West. Uh, Minnesota, you know, probably looks like the best team right now, but they just lost their best wide receiver for the season. So, uh, you know, it's uh, Wisconsin has not looked great. Obviously, Nebraska's a train wreck. Northwestern has, you know, uh, it just lost it at home to Southern Illinois. And then uh, I don't think any of us think Illinois is probably going to win the West. And then Purdue's kind of choked away a couple possible wins, even though they look pretty good. So, yeah, it's 
it's probably Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin. And uh, this, I do think this Iowa roster has still got a lot of talent, uh, especially with it, it truly is a championship level defense. I mean, that's just why it, to go back to the first couple topics of this conversation, it's just if Iowa can just do something on offense, you know, that's basically all fans want. Just, just give us something. And then this team could, could be a real contender because they can, they can hold Ohio state to twenties, you know, the, I think, you know, maybe hold Michigan in the twenties. So, um, but the, the offense just has to get going. But yeah, the West is the West is a mess. Uh, I feel bad for um, you know Rutgers and Maryland and, and some of those teams that that have have almost no chance every year in the East because uh, it it usually does come down to the last one or two games for Iowa in the West. What's a matchup that you're looking at um, in this game particularly? You know, it's obviously easy to say uh, if Rutgers will be able to move the ball against that Iowa defense as a whole. But as you look at it um, a little more in depth in terms of position groups or um, you mentioned Rutgers maybe being able to run the football a little bit using their speed, what's a matchup on uh, either either team, either side of the ball that could kind of switch this game in one direction? Yeah, uh, one thing we really haven't talked about too much is Rutgers' rushing defense. And I think that Iowa has just not been able to run the ball other than I mentioned the two long runs the other day, Um, one of them which the other the true freshman running back broke a tackle and just, you know, went to the house. And the other one was real late in the game, like after three lightning delays. And, you know, you could chalk that up to <laughs> who knows what, you know, it's like tired legs or a seven-hour game, whatever. So can Iowa even run the ball? Iowa's had so much problem on the interior of its offensive line. That's probably where the Iowa's biggest weakness right now is at center and uh, the two guard positions. It just had a lot of leaks there. And uh, Rutgers' rushing defense has been so good statistically that I'm watching that matchup. Can Iowa just get enough push to run the ball for, you know, let's say three yards per carry, three and a half? You know, can they rush, you know, 29 times for 95 yards on Saturday? That might be enough to kind of, you know, just you know, give them a shot on third down. <laughs> We're talking about, you know, minimal things here, but, but that's kind of what Iowa needs. They can't afford another... I think they had 36 carries for like 57 yards against uh, South Dakota State. You know that, that they can't have that type of rushing game and expect to win this. You know, unless they're going to score on defense a couple times. You know, because I do think I do think Rutgers will have a little success running the ball. I you know well, I could be wrong there, and uh, I don't know what the status is on um, Rutgers quarterbacks exactly. I know Shiano um, said uh, Vidral. If I'm saying that correctly, was a game time decision. That would be a huge development if if he could come back for this game. So um, that's another one to watch too. But um, yeah, I think Ken Iowa just run the ball a little bit. Um, we'll see what Iowa does. On the, they are talking about making a shuffle on the O line maybe this week. So that that's something to watch as well. Uh, just because they're searching for answers there. A lot of trouble there. Yeah, Noah Vedral remains a game-time decision, while uh, Gavin Wimsat, the highly touted recruit um, that they had come in, is also a game-time decision. So as of now, um, Evan Simon remains the healthy quarterback, who's more of a pocket passer, while the other two um, are able to use their legs more within the offense. Um, okay. And final question here. I need a score prediction before I let you go. Obviously, Iowa, seven-and-a-half-point favorite. The total extremely low for a college football game. I don't remember the last time I've seen one around 34-35. Give me a score prediction for the game, and is there any chance that these two teams put together enough offense to hit this over? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I bet I don't have uh, 
you know, I haven't probably done enough research to do to, to be 100% confident in this prediction, but I kind of think, um, I think this is the type of game that, that Iowa does really well in. I mean, uh, very similar to a game at Maryland last year. Maryland was 4-0, I believe. You know, had a lot of hype for a, for a night game welcoming Iowa uh, over into College Park. You know, this was going to be kind of their breakthrough win, and Iowa had its best game of the season. They went on the road and won 51-10 to over there. Uh, it just really, or 51-14, and it kind of took the air out of a, a home crowd that was kind of trying, you know, had a blackout type thing going. I know there's a scarlet out at Rutgers this week. So I, my gut feel is Iowa kind of has that game uh, where they galvanize on the road that, you know, defenses, you know, do travel well. And just with the problems that Rutgers has a quarterback right now, I think it's very possible Iowa scores a defensive touchdown. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Uh, maybe it gets them to the over. So I've got Iowa winning. Uh, 27 to 10, but I don't, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't feel like uh, that could easily be flipped because of the way these offenses play. But uh, I think Iowa gets it done on Saturday. I just think they have a little bit better roster. Chad, thank you again for joining me today just to discuss this matchup. This was great. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thank you again to Chad for joining me. Great discussion with him on the upcoming matchup. And of course, it comes down to a few things. First and foremost, as broad as this sounds, Rutgers offense against that Iowa defense. When you look more into it, the Rutgers rushing attack against the defensive line of Iowa. And finally, Spencer Petras against Evan Simon, potentially Gavin Wimsett, potentially Noah Vedral, whoever is going to end up playing for the Scarlet Knights. And there's a lot on the line for Rutgers in this game. They're looking to end a 19-game home losing streak in Big Ten play. They're looking to go to 4-0 and for the first time in a decade. And Spencer Petras, as Chad mentioned, he plays better on the road for whatever reason. Maybe he feels less pressure. He doesn't have to perform in front of the home crowd and potentially get booed if the offense is not performing. He plays better on the road. So really, Rutgers is, is in a hole going into this game. The line, 7.5 in favor of Iowa in Piscataway. That's telling. And if I'm a fan of Rutgers, you got to look at this as – uh, for obviously the biggest test defensively they're going to face you know Jack Campbell Riley Moss are the are the headliners they're the stars of this defense and two guys who can really wreck a game but Iowa is an elite defense probably the best they're going to face can Rutgers get anything going now Greg Schiano mentioned that they've played it a little close to the vest he expects the team to um open it up a bit so to say, against Iowa. But what exactly does that mean? Does that mean Johnny Langan on a couple of trick plays making throws? Does that mean ends around with Crookshank and Joshua Youngblood? Does that mean trying to throw the ball down the field? A little, maybe a little more option play if Wimsat is able to go. We're going to see what exactly that means by opening it up. And that's something that should excite the offense and should excite fans after what really was a debacle against Temple, you know, being able to kick three field goals and obviously having the turnover lead to a touchdown. There's not a lot of confidence in this offense right now to get anything going. And when you look at the defense that they're going to be up against, it's going to be a challenge. It really is. It's not, nothing's going to come easy. And if they just need to focus on taking care of the ball. Now, Shiano opening it up is nice and all, but if it's opened up too much and the offense is not comfortable and this leads to turnovers, this game could get ugly. You know, it, 
it seems like a spot where Rutgers has a chance to surprise some people. This is a game when you look at the Iowa offense that Rutgers should be in if they do not turn the ball over because Iowa's not going to come in and score 40 on you in the first half, you know, like an Ohio State has the chance to. So this needs to be a game where Rutgers possesses the football, tries to get a couple first downs, and play field position. I mentioned field position a lot because of the the punting battle, which you don't hear every day, between Torrey Taylor and Adam Korsak, two of the best in the nation and, you know, arguably the two best in the Big Ten, are going to have to pin the other team down because of how bad the offenses have been and how strong the defenses have been. Rutgers' defense can't be ignored either. You know, they're strong up the middle. The secondary's experienced. And Iowa is not a team that could get the ball down the field. They have injuries on the outside at wide receiver, which is something Rutgers will have to take advantage of. And they're going to have to win at the line to try and put pressure on Spencer Petras, who, you know, throws the ball up every now and then. And Rutgers could get a couple turnovers themselves to flip this game and flip that field position since Torrey Taylor is such a weapon at um, punter in the special teams for Iowa. So that's a matchup. The quarterbacks are going to be a matchup. And at the end of the day, can Rutgers get anything going against, you know, arguably the best defense that they're going to see this season? I think it has to be in the rushing attack again. This was a huge question mark coming into the season. Well, they've answered all questions over the first three games. And yes, Boston College is proving to be mediocre. Wagner is obviously one of the worst programs in the country. And Temple is not a strong team to this, uh, to this point as well. Who knows if they'll turn it around, but as of now, they're not where they want to be. So it has been, you know, lighter. Obviously, a Power 5 victory on the road is impressive, but the last two weeks, it's been a bit lighter, and Rutgers was unimpressive against the Owls, but the rushing attack has answered a ton of questions. They have depth. They have speed. They have reliability. They've held on to the football. Johnny Langan has a chance to be a weapon. We've seen that. Al-Shadi Salam, speed. Samuel Brown, big bruiser. If Rashad Rochelle is used, he wasn't used as much against Temple. If he is used in different ways when this offense is opened up, that's a weapon because of his speed and his ability to hang on to the football. So the rushing attack, whether they try and get on the outside, might be a little tough with Jack Campbell going sideline to sideline. But if the offensive line can get a push up the middle, that creates you know an advantage for Rutgers. Greg Schiano spoke on the offensive line again this week, saying they're still improving. You know, it wasn't their best performance against Temple, but this is a group that is beginning to gel and will have to gel quickly in this game because if they can get a push up front, that could be a game changer when you look at getting, you know, two or three first downs, punting Iowa inside, hoping that they make a decision, a bad decision, excuse me, or being able to put a couple first downs together and put some points on the board. When you look at the over-under in this game, 34, that's crazy for a college football game. That's not something you see at all. I've seen 38, 39. Games in the 30s are not crazy. 34, being on the closer side to 20, is really crazy looking at a game. And that just goes to show how good both defenses have played and how bad the offenses have played. It's a combination, a little bit of of both. So do not expect a lot of points. Expect a hard-fought game, and expect a game that Rutgers is going to be in. Again, if they do not turn the ball over, if they don't throw a pick six, if they don't fumble for a touchdown or fumble giving Iowa the ball in plus territory, they're going to be in this game because Iowa has not shown the ability to throw the ball down the field. They have not broken off big runs. They have not put together that offense. You know, the story is that the offense got going against Nevada. Well, they scored 27 points against, again, one of the worst teams you're going to see in the country um, at the FBS level. So 
that this is an offense that is not going to come out and gash you in that first half to put the game away. So Rutgers just has to take care of the football to keep themselves in the game. Something we'll have to give this weekend. Will Spencer Peters throw up a dud on the road? Will Rutgers be able to put up some points? Can they end a 19-game home losing streak in the Big Ten and move to 4-0 for the first time since 2012? Well, we're getting closer. All those games will be answered. Everybody who's going to the game, enjoy it. It's supposed to be a scarlet out. There's going to be energy in the building for a 7 p.m. kickoff. For those enjoying at home, you'll have all Saturday to get prepared, get jacked up for the game. So no matter where you'll be watching, it's going to be a great time. It's an exciting time for Rutgers. These are the games that they've been looking forward to playing in their home stadium, you know, prime time on a Saturday night. Um, so we'll be back at you next week with a preview of, you know, let's face it, an unwinnable game against Ohio State. Quick preview while breaking down this Iowa game, hoping to talk about another victory for the Scarlet Knights. So everybody, enjoy the game. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to the On The Banks podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just search On The Banks.